Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with you for another episode of the Curvebenders Live. Uh, I'm coming to you remote. This doesn't look like my typical home office setup, but I'm elated uh, to be joined uh, by a, a fairly new colleague. Uh, so excited about this new year and uh, this new part of our business, which I've seen continue to be a challenge for a number of clients for a number of years. So I want to welcome Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's nice to see you. Um, so for our audience, we're live on, let's see, Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter. And uh, we're going to talk about a really interesting topic today around marketing technology, around revenue operations. So I'd encourage you to jump in with questions of Jen, with comments, with your experience, but would love to make this as interactive as possible. So Jen, let's start with a brief introduction. For those that may not know you, tell us a little about where you've been, what you've done so far. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm based in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but I grew up uh, traveling the world. I went to University of Washington with a dual degree in engineering international business. Um, I'm a mom of both a dog and a young adult son. I love fly fishing and being outdoors and the technology space has just captured my interest for the last 15 years. So you and I met at a recent client engagement. Uh, you decided to move on from that company. Tell us about your most recent role. Yeah, absolutely. I worked with uh, Security Scorecard as their director of marketing ops and digital, and I was responsible for their website, all inbound channels, their revenue operations and data. So I'm fascinated by the space. Tell us, uh, help us understand what, and you and I were talking about this a little while ago, the whole marketing technology landscape seems to have mushroomed in the last several years. Tell us, first of all, what MarTech is, and then how does it tie to RevOps? Yeah, absolutely. So MarTech is really any and every technology that a company could use to track their customers, to get awareness out into the market, and to keep track of all of that data and engagement with their prospects and their customers. Uh, how it ties to RevOps is revenue operations at its core is driving business processes from end to end and creating alignment between sales, marketing, and service. So uh, Jesse uh, is a good friend and uh, he's joining us as well on LinkedIn. Love it. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse is a big fan of this space. It's good to yeah. see you, my friend. Um, Jen, um, one of Jesse and I's mutual friend and longtime client and friend of mine, Randy Seidel, has a love-hate relationship between sales and marketing. And his biggest concern often is traditional marketing would spend a lot of cycles and resources to, in essence, generate leads. And then for some reason, the ball gets dropped. The baton isn't as smooth or it comes over to sales and it's not even close to the, the perception of the quality of the buyer that sales professionals want to talk to. How do you make that smoother? How do you make that? It's probably no easy answer, but how do you ensure alignment in essence between marketing and marketing technology and what sales really needs to close the right type of customers? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the rise of RevOps actually comes from the disjointed silos that has existed in most organizations up till, till recently. Marketing ops lives under marketing, sales ops lives under sales, finance has an analytics team, and everybody is working off of different numbers and they all have different agendas. So RevOps is kind of the rise of that unification and making sure that everybody's walking in lockstep and using the same set of data and everything's connected in an efficient way. And so um, that's really why this entire space is important because as you and I were talking about earlier, the space has grown about 15% year over year and there's over 8,000 different technologies and spend on technology from most companies is about 30% of everybody's budget. And so if people are spending enormous amounts of money and not necessarily getting the most value from all of these technologies that they're investing in. I think you also shared that an average company has north of some 70 tools that they're trying to use to make all of this work. And, and while you do that, I want to share the, the screen you shared with me of this landscape, because as you said, it okay. just seems to be mushrooming. But talk about the tools and, and why so many, how, how do they just kind of permeate through the company? And it seems like everybody seems to have their own favorites. Yes, absolutely. So the technology space has just blossomed and there's new technologies popping up every single day. Like uh, now about one in five had, did, that exists today didn't exist last year. And that's come from the COVID uh, pandemic where everybody's working from home and new solutions are needed, but it's also just come from advancements in the space. So everybody does kind of create their own agenda. And what I found in most of these companies is that they're trying to point solve their problem, which means that they have one thing that they're trying to solve for. They go find a tool that does that one thing and they buy it without looking at the other capabilities that some of their other tools they already own could do and could potentially fulfill for them. So there's just an enormous amount of tech debt that companies are acquiring when they don't have a unified team sort of overseeing that strategy and the goal for their entire tech stack. And I'm, I'm showing the audience this, and I'll, I will share this uh, URL. This is from uh, chiefmartech.com. And it's from April of 2020, but the landscape, as you mentioned, some 8,000 solutions in these different buckets, right? Advertising, promotion, content and experience, social relationships, commerce and sales, data management. Jen, I can't help but to see a whole bunch of islands. Whose job is it to make any of this kind of work together and really create the end result that I know the executive team and the leadership is going to care about? It would be an operations team. And like uh, those categories that you saw over there on the left, um, different teams historically have owned those different functions. So there's a data team, there's a marketing ops team, there's a sales ops team, and they'll own pieces of that puzzle. And they won't always necessarily align with them themselves or even have the same agenda and have their tools talking to each other. So you have a lot of disparate data. And so you'll have CROs coming to a meeting with a set of numbers that they feel are the forecast or revenue numbers. And then you'll have the marketing CMO come in with a different set of numbers saying, here's our leads and this is how it's gonna affect pipeline. And those two numbers aren't in alignment. And so you, you have executives making decisions with data that is incomplete. 
So talk about the last, it's hard to believe we keep talking about this, but the last two years, what has the global pandemic done and continues to do to the state, to the space? Because again, you know, traditional marketing would go to trade shows and would do demo days and would go, you know, see people and have executive briefings. And for the last two years, we haven't done a whole lot of that. It has all gone digital. So unless you tell me otherwise, it seems like the last two years even amplified the importance of getting the right tools for the right reasons and making sure they work together. Yes, absolutely. It has. It's focused a lot on the operations space. And that's that's why a lot of people are talking about revenue operations and unifying of the teams and, and collective sets of data um, because this pandemic and sending everybody home to work and still have businesses running has emphasized the need to have a single source of truth, to put it lightly, um, and process and documentation and having everybody on the same page has really been emphasized in this pandemic because a lot of people weren't documenting their processes or who's responsible for what or having a unified onboarding experience or when somebody starts having a baseline entitlement of here's the technologies that a salesperson needs on day one. Here's what a marketing person needs on day one. None of that was documented. And so not only did it drive the need to have professionals running your tech stack and not just random owners, but it also has driven the need to unify and standardize some of your processes. And so that's what RevOps does. It standardize your people processes and technology into one cohesive package. So uh, Bob Stanton is jumping in. Love this. Isn't it also true that even when solutions are purchased, the customer never actually utilizes the products fully? So now you have multiple solutions that are not even utilized. Yes, absolutely. That's true. Most people are only using about 20 to 30% of a tool's functionality. And that goes back to they buy a point solution. They're looking to solve their video streaming problem. They have Zoom, but they need to do breakout rooms. They may not realize Zoom can do breakout rooms. So then they go by Hopin or some other platform like Stream, StreamYard or anything else because they need some functionality that they don't think their existing tech has or they don't think that they own that tech. So another team may have purchased that technology like LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Sales teams usually have that, but that can also be used for good prospecting and lead gen from a marketing team. If the marketing team doesn't know LinkedIn Sales Navigator is in the stack, they may go buy something else that could have been solved by just expanding the capabilities that they already had. So having that, that single source and that unified view uh, is really important for most companies. It also sounds like the classic case of the right arm has no clue what the left arm is doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, yes. Good people, good intended people, but maybe lack of communication or lack of, as you said, that oversight, that overview or single view of the of the tech stack. So let's stick to that topic a second. What are some of the, you, you know, before I met you at Security Scorecard, you were also at another company and you've been at this for a while. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen organization make along this line? So they're trying to solve a singular problem. Maybe there's not as much of a consistent communication between different disparate parts of the organization. What else? What else are you seeing companies do to kind of stumble over themselves in this whole MarTech RevOps space? 
One of the big things that I've noticed is that they allow everybody elevated rights within the tool, um, which basically means that they can go change things without necessarily knowing. There's no one dedicated owner that's responsible for the cleanliness of data that's in there with the configuration of it, with the integrations. So it kind of becomes wild west within all the tools. And if you can, if you can't rely on the data that's within your tool, you can't make sound decisions from it. And so if you're constantly adding custom fields or you're creating just different nomenclature for common things, it, it confuses everyone. And if you don't have a documented process, that person moves on. You now have no clue what that person was doing in that technology. And you either scrap it and start again, losing all of that historical data and or you just try and build on top of it and so then you end up with this duct taped band-aided solution monster thing that just becomes and again everybody then gets frustrated with it and they don't want to work within that tool because they feel it's cumbersome and i love it bob jumps in and it is seldom looped in because they're it guys right they can't possibly understand not knowing that they know the infrastructure better than a lot of others and then Robert's jumping in with uh, buying tech solutions is hope personified. <laughs> if I get this, all my problems will go away. <laughs> yes, technology salespeople are really, really good. And I love them, but they're really good at promising you the world and this very sunny outcome when that's seldom the case. And it takes a lot of work to get to that sunny outcome. Um, but back actually to the IT comment having a partner within the IT department, a lot of IT departments are literally there to give tech like hardware and make sure your email's set up and those sort of things. They're not necessarily owning the tech stack. So that's why a partnership between operations teams, be it a unified RevOps team or the separated marketing sales, et cetera, ops teams and IT is really, really important because they need to work together. And an IT department is rarely going to know how to admin a Salesforce or a Marketo, but they need to know that it exists and they need to know what it's doing and who should have access to it. So we talked about, um, you know, why this is important. We talked about the pandemic has elevated the need to get this right. We talked about some of the mistakes that organizations make. You brought up tech salespeople. We're talking about marketing technology is MarTech and RevOps exclusive to the tech industry? Or as you know, you know, one of our clients is Siemens and another one is, uh, you know, Schneider Electric and kind of old school in some ways, but non kind of, and I know every business is tech and every business is digital these days, but is this the value from RevOps and MarTech exclusive to the tech industry or is it really relevant and applicable to every organization? It's absolutely relevant to every organization. And honestly, I mean, everybody in the world, in my opinion, is actually kind of part of the tech space. Everybody has apps on their phone and they do Instacart and DoorDash and, and they play their games on their phones and all of those things. Like all of those are tech apps and all of that is feeding data back to whatever company or person owns that technology. And it helps inform how they're going to communicate with you in the future. And your shopping card even i mean this goes back before technology necessarily existed in the apps and all of that your shopper card and and those your safeway number or your kroger card like that was tracking your purchases and so kroger would know who's buying what in what regions where should we be shipping things what sort of products should we be putting in places 
And so those are the sort of historic old school ways that we did digital marketing and understand buyer intent. Now there's ways to listen to it on the internet, your searches on your computer, if you have cookies enabled, like all of these things are tracking you. And so, I mean, it's every technology, every industry, every space, uh, this impacts. Well, uh, for our audience, you're listening to Jen Cords, who's a brand new partner with our firm leading the RevOps practice. And Jen, uh, one of my favorite experiences together was the conversation you and I had about the CROs that I've traditionally worked with. What they really care about is building that pipeline and building that pipeline with uh, people that are in, you know, have an interest, they're, they have a need, they're ideal profile of people that, you know, we want to work with, we want to help, we want to sell our technology or tools or value add to. So you and I talked about this and, and I love that you've built out this accelerated time to close or the ATC process. Talk a little about what you and your team do with clients. How do you get started? How do you really streamline kind of, I don't want to say the spaghetti mess you may walk into, but the spaghetti mess you may walk into, how do you address that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we come into an organization and we're going to help them clean up their mess and make sense of it, we always start with an audit because we need to know what we're working with. And that is a tech stack review. It's an inventory. We create a system diagram to figure out what's connected to what. Um, and then from that, we take that and have conversations related to what buyers they want to go after, what solutions and needs do their products solve. And then what sort of behaviors should we be listening for? And so then we create basically a buyer profile that allows us to focus in on the people that it makes sense to talk to. I mean, we'll talk to everybody, but you want to make sure that you're passing the correct leads to sales so they can actually move them into the pipeline. Um, after that, we map out a user journey. And that's just the way we help the customer or potential prospect understand the company's story. And it takes them through a logical um, awareness phase, then it gets in, them engaged, and then it actually gets them using the product. And then one of the biggest pieces of a RevOps um, improvement and optimization is actually a feedback loop. Uh, if we're handing things to sales and it's not working for them, we need to have sales tell us why. And so then we can go back and refine the process. And so the, the very last step of the ATC is actually just to have that constant feedback loop and improve and optimize as we go, uh, because it's never going to be perfect. And there is, you can't set it and forget it. An operations tech stack, a process, a life cycle, like it's never, ever set it and forget it because you're getting new data points all the time. And like we talked about earlier, the technology landscape is changing all the time. I mean, we're moving into a, a future with browsers that they're not going to have cookies. So how are you going to get that tracking data? It's going to be through first party and third party intent. And so how are you going to incorporate that into your life cycle and or scoring? These are questions that you have to answer and our accelerated time to close process actually helps companies identify that and have a path forward. Love it. So again, for our audience, uh, just, uh, just a, a quick recap of, of the process. What I wrote down was one is a baseline audit. Two is a buyer profiles, needs, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Three is that user journey. 
four is improve and optimize, and five is really scale the breadth and depth of the reach. So um, I love a couple of comments. Bob's jumping in. Uh, most organizations don't know what they don't know. And then his follow-up question is, having performed your audit, how do you prioritize solutions? Jen, end of the day, what I'm after is those qualified leads. What I'm after is people that my sales team can go talk to. What I'm after is that the lead scoring that I remember you led in the last role, and you actually had a high percentage of that. So talk about, answer Bob's question. How do you prioritize kind of what you tackle? And then I come, I want to come back to that lead scoring process as well. Yeah, absolutely. So prioritizing what you tackle first is uh, your core system. So if your marketing automation system is not talking to your customer database, then you need to connect those things. If sales is not getting alerted anytime somebody fills out a form that's of high priority, like a demo form or contact us, somebody raising their hand saying, I would like to talk to you. Um, if sales isn't getting those, then you need to fix that. So you look for the lowest hanging fruit first, and then you work into the more complex solutions. Um, knowing that you're going to have to come back and fix that core constantly. You're just going to have to make tweaks. It's not really a fix. It's a tweak. But prioritizing is definitely look for the low-hanging fruit first. And um, talk about the lead scoring. So you 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 threw out some 90% number. What, what does that mean? How does that work? How do you ensure? And, and I love your comment. It's a constant tweaking. It's a feedback loop mechanism. It's a way to really enhance and elevate uh, what you're doing. So talk about that for a second. Yeah. So lead scoring is just a way to prioritize demographic and firmographic as well as behavioral information into a way that it, it brings the good to the top and accelerates it through to the salespeople. And there, when you start, when any organization starts, you're not going to know who your buyer profile, your needs, your, your ICP, your ideal customer pr profile, you're not going to know who that is. So you're going to kind of shoot in the dark, but you just draw some lines in the sand saying this person is what we want to go after. And then you score those behaviors appropriately. Like if they hit a certain landing page that you would feel is high converting, like a demo page, you're going to score that highly and you're going to get that person to sales quickly. But if they come and they download a white paper or read a blog post that's not going to, that's not a buyer behavior. So you're not going to move them quickly through the funnel. So you just, you look at your overall landscape and your user journey that you're wanting to take somebody on and you put point values associated to the things that you want somebody to do and move quickly to sales. And so you just create a rubric more or less. And then mm -hmm. as you get feedback from sales and you look at your closed loss opportunities or your disqualified leads reasoning, so you always look at the reasons why something didn't create revenue, uh, you look at those and you then tweak the point values. Maybe the demo page isn't converting. It's a lot of tire kickers. So you'd maybe reduce that, that they have to go look at the demo page and download a white paper before they get past the sales. And so it's, it's that feedback loop and that constant tweaking that'll get you a lead scoring process that'll work really well. A fascinating comment you made when I asked was you also want that company's competitors to mm -hmm. kind of disqualify them because they, they, you know, their reps or their marketing folks may come and download something or may come and want something. And that's not, you don't want to feed that to sales to go call on a competitor. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You want to exclude your competitors. If your company doesn't have a solution for students and you're like in the DevOps space, students want to come and learn about DevOps. And um, if they're, if your company doesn't have a solution for them, you're not going to want your salespeople wasting time on talking to a student. Not that it's a waste of time because they, the student could probably learn a lot, but your salesperson is on commission and needing to make revenue. And so it, it, there is a better way and a better place to put that student like to a blog or to a webinar series or something else, not giving them to a very expensive field sales rep. Love it. Robert has a question. Um, what's the most important skill for the point person to have? Is it project management? Is it current technology knowledge? What would you say are some of the attributes that you really need for that rev ops leader, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So um, overall technical skill why you think it would be really important, they need to have an awareness of the space and a general understanding of what all the tools do. Project management for sure is one of the highest skills that a RevOps leader needs to have, as well as long-term vision and strategy. So a RevOps leader really needs to be looked at like a system architect. They need to see how everything fits together. People who love puzzles and uh, like Sudoku and like those challenging type thoughts uh, games or more or less is somebody who would be really successful in the RevOps space because it is constantly trying to make things that don't look like they fit together, fit together. Um, and so project management delegation is also a big one. No RevOps leader can run it all. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, most companies have 70 plus tools that they're trying to fit all together. Um, each person on, a, on an operations team really should be running potentially two to three if they're the large ones like Salesforce, Marketo, two to three is all that they can admin and own. But if they're smaller tools, then it could be up to five to seven tools. But you're going to need a pretty substantial operations team to own those technologies. And that RevOps leader needs to prioritize, project manage, and then oversee. You and I did a cursory search, and I think we found a couple hundred open positions for various, you know, we need a HubSpot person, or we actually need a RevOps person, or we need somebody to come make all this work because the last person left. Uh, why is the talent in this space so difficult to find, so challenging to retain, and where do you go from this? Where, so so if I'm, I'm part of the RevOps team and I'm managing a couple of tools and then I become that RevOps manager, what's next for me? What's what's kind of the career pathing, if you will, for this for this space? Really, this space is still finding its footing as to where it fits on the career path. A lot of companies still stick revenue operations up under a CRO or they'll even put it under like a CMO. And what I found there is that they're still held to the agenda of that department. And so operations, RevOps really needs to sit alone, um, not necessarily under a chief operating officer. Um, in some organizations, I've seen it successful sitting under a CFO because revenue is the ultimate goal and the driving the alignment of the various teams that generate and or spend money. Um, are, are important. So it is, it has been successful under a CFO, but having a partner in those sales and marketing teams is very important. 
where they where do they go? Uh, like I said, this space is kind of finding its footing. You're now seeing some roles where it's a VP of RevOps or there's even VP of Marketing Ops. Um, there isn't really a C-suite title for RevOps. Um, most people get into this space by accident because they were brought into a company to do, I don't know, their digital marketing. And then they had experience maybe with HubSpot and that's the new tool they're bringing in to do email marketing. And they raise their hand being like, oh, I know I have some experience with HubSpot. And so then they become the owner of HubSpot and then it just sort of blossoms from there. And the people who are very tech savvy and, and uh, love digging into the, the tech side and the software side of these these tools, they'll, they are the ones who become the operations owners. And so there's not a formalized training for any of this. Like you can go to school and you can get a general marketing degree or you can get a communications degree and you can actually now get a digital or social media degree. There isn't something like that for operations. There's programmers, but operations people are not programmers. Sometimes they are, but that's not the same career path. Uh, one of the challenges is in all the conversations around tools, and I'm not taking anything away from it, critical, important, the data is valuable. At some point, a lot of it could be perceived as busy work, could be perceived as infrastructure, plumbing. If I don't see it, is it really that important? Bob brings up a really good question. What are the metrics for success in RevOps? What are the measures of you know, we've got, we've invested in these 70 plus tools. We now have a RevOps team that's kind of leading it. How do I know it's successful? How do I know it's worth the, what's the ROI on that investment of time, effort, resources, tools, technologies, processes, documentation? It's really the acceleration and the, and the seamlessness of an organization's ability to sell. If, a salesperson is constantly having problems finding their leads, knowing what their territory numbers are. If a CRO can't know what his forecast is or what his pipeline coverage is, like those are indicative of problems in your, your tech stack. If a operations team is more or less forgot about and it just kind of operates and things go seamlessly, that's when you know you've got a tech stack that's just humming along. And I don't want to say that we're not important. RevOps people are not important because we absolutely are. Like if you have an operations team, if you, if you don't have an operations team, you'll know it. If you do have an operations team that just anticipates the problems or they anticipate the needs of the business in a way that other people don't have to think about it, it really makes the business just accelerate and it makes everybody's lives much more easy. And some of the metrics for success, I mean, having dashboards, having a end-to-end -end funnel view of these are the leads coming in. This is your conversion number. This is your opportunity close rate. Here's your customer success NPS scores. But having one unified view of that that everybody can work from and look at is, is a key metric for a, a successful RevOps team. And, and Bob, just to add to that, one of the things Jen and I have talked about is in each of the five phases of, of her accelerated time to close process, some specific metrics, such as, uh, again, the number of leads through each phase of the, the sales, the funnel stages, if you will, uh, the conversion rate of those. The other thing that we, we've talked about is time. Every CRO that I know 
you know, right now is trying to build their pipeline to close Q1 and certainly Q2 deals. So what's the time from that person, that lead first raising their hands and saying, I'm interested in learning more about this technology till they become a customer? One more that we're thinking a lot about uh, with ARR-based revenue models and the subscription, it's not a you sell it once and you're done. Right, you got that retention becomes a challenge, and if they're not getting value from whatever technology you've sold, um, you know that retention and renewal is going to be a challenge. So we're Absolutely. also looking at, you know, that Jen talked about that customer journey and what does that look like, not just at the sale, but really the adoption for them to become advocates of it, for them to really see the value. So when renewal does come up, they continue to uh, to to go along. Um, yeah, and on that. Sorry, David. David. Um, on that note, I, I don't think of, it, of a funnel as what people fall into. Um, so a customer's journey, it's, it's actually little micro yeses getting to a macro yes. They, they buy something. You're, you're bringing them along to be like, okay, I'm buying something. But that's not the end of their journey. I, I also like calling it an infinity bow tie because they come through the journey, they make their purchase, they need to continue to get value and education, but then they become your biggest advocates. And not only will they potentially expand what they've purchased, but they've also gone and told other people and those people are now coming in. So it just becomes this kind of infinity loop. Um, so you can't think of a funnel of something that people fall into or move up or down. It's, it's more of a, it's a flow and it's, it's kind of a racetrack figure eight, if you will. Love it. Bob definitely wants to make, make sure he gets his money's worth from today's session. Love the comments, Bob. Jump in. Are you saying this is primarily a sales accelerator? What about a client that is satisfied with their sales process, but they know they're bleeding funds elsewhere and want to maximize their revenue opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. So revenue operations is not just for sales. It, it drives alignment across the entire business. So it's an end-to-end -end sort of methodology to make sure what is happening in sales is mirrored in other departments. And so part of that audit that starts our accelerated time to close would be to see what is working, what isn't working, where is improvement needed. It's not just necessarily a sales process or even a marketing process, but if your customer service team needs help or your customer success or professional services, all of those things um, go into this massive journey. And they fall under the same umbrella because it's, it's the same customer group. And if sales is doing really well, but maybe your marketing's not or your professional services is not, it's one team, one goal. Nobody's crossing the finish line if everybody's not crossing the finish line. So if you're bleeding out, out in some other place, that audit would help identify that. And you, we'd focus our efforts in that area making sure that it doesn't disrupt the success that sales is having. Boom. Bob, there's a reason she's my partner leading this, right? <laughs> so, uh, Randy Seidel, longtime friend, client. Uh, so do you think RevOps leaders will eventually be, I, I would add, great CRO candidates? Because now, as you said, you understand the entire customer life cycle of what works, what doesn't, where are we excelling, where are we struggling? I absolutely would would say that these uh, RevOps leaders would become great CRO candidates. Uh, I've seen some RevOps leaders become really good CMOs as well um, because they have that full understanding and they can be a really good partner to 
the other parts of the organization and they have that holistic high level 10,000 foot view while still maintaining a focus on the micro level as well. It's it's that balanced view. A lot of these candidates also go in and they start their own companies and they become consultants for other companies and do strategy work and things like that. But absolutely, I would say CRO is, is a title that this type of role could lead to. And Randy, uh, Randy and I host for our audience a, a weekly uh, sales community. If you haven't checked it out, salescommunity.com, learn more, sell more. It's a great community. We host a, a weekly tech sales insights with some fabulous CROs and CEOs and a lot of technology leaders as well. And uh, one of the things that really got me excited about working with Jen is we continue to see not only the space evolving, but ongoing challenges. And a lot of what we've talked about, point solutions that don't talk to each other, lack of visibility and that holistic view of that customer and what that customer really is interested in or potential customers interested in what they need. Um, as a follow-on, Jen, uh, Randy's asking, what's your preferred sales tech stack for A, a startup, and then B, a larger company? What's a good, if I'm just starting from scratch or if I'm, if I'm coming in maybe in the role and I'm looking at our landscape, is there a, is there a right kind of formula or mix that, that you like? There, I do have a personal preference, yes. Uh, I've worked with Marketo um, pretty much since they've started. They're now an Adobe company. Um, I love them just because it's a very traditional marketing automation solution, but it has great flexibility to bend and flex to what businesses need. So for me, Mar Marketo is usually part of my core tech stack that I, that I would build. For a startup, it's really what will work for you but also grow with you. You don't want to purchase a solution that's going to, you're going to outgrow when you implement it, but you also don't want to outgrow it within the next three months. So you do need to be looking forward and it will cost more to put the right solution in place for a startup that'll allow you to grow. So for instance, HubSpot is a great place most people start because it has a free level uh, that'll get most people started. Salesforce also is a great starting point. Um, some people start with sugar CRM or others, but when you're a startup, you need to look not only what you're trying to solve now, but what you're going to need in a year from now, because you technologies at your core of your stack, you don't want to have to rip and replace all the time because it's very, very cumbersome and it's very expensive and both in time and in money. So my preferred tech stack is a Salesforce Marketo because there's a native integration. Um, on top of that, I also love outreach for salespeople because it allows them to have email communication cadences and create tickle files and do their own work for a larger type company. It really is the same type of stack. It's just what other tools you have plugged into that core, um, making sure that your core is solid and talking to each other and passing data. And I always do a one-to-one-to-one -one type database, making sure that if somebody exists in your marketing automation solution, they exist in your CRM. And they, if you have a data warehouse, they exist there too. And so it's one unified view. So you can get the 360 degree uh, of a customer and everybody who may have access to those various systems is looking at the exact same information about a person. Because I don't want David in my marketing automation system. And it says he works at one company, but then in Salesforce, it works for a different company because then we go back to a left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. 
Yeah, and being around uh, Randy and Jesse and company, I've heard of you know, I've gotten to know you know Gong and Six Sense, and you know, we 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 interviewed the CEO of of uh, Dooley, and so there's a lot of really interesting AI centric. There's a lot of different tools that are coming up in various stages of that sales engagement, from you know, recording the sales conversation to you know, giving me, prompting me things that I could, that I could either promote or other kind of drip and nurture campaigns. Um, how do you then take from that core and kind of start span, expanding into the periphery? What are you looking for there? Well, one of the things I love AI and I love machine learning and things like that. What a lot of the industry, well, I don't even want to say industry, Operation professionals understand AI and what machine learning actually is. Uh, the end user doesn't necessarily understand that machine learning and AI is only as good as the data that's sitting underneath it. Yes, it learns. Yes, it can change. With time, it gets smarter. But if you don't start with a good data set, it's not going to give you the right insights. And so having someone who's fully responsible for that data cleanliness and that hygiene, if you put junk in, you're going to have junk it's just going to be junk. And so in my mind, everybody is responsible for data quality. So if a salesperson realizes that the email address is in the wrong format, allow them the capability to fix it. Um, don't have them go through some cumbersome process to send it back to ops and make more work for a team that may already be overburdened. When you're adding other tools, you want to make sure that they're going to cover um, multiple facets. So if you're going to do a recording technology like Gong, uh, make sure that it can trans to transcribe those calls as well and put them into notes and get that call recognized by maybe Clary or your forecasting solution to recognize that, yes, that we've had a conversation about this deal. It's not a yellow, it's actually a green. Um, so making sure those technologies talk and play nice with each other, um, but also don't solve for the one thing. Um, it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine that end users will create their own solution before they come to the operations team. They'll come to the ops team being like, this is what I want, go implement it. When the ops team really should be involved in that planning conversation and that strategy of what are you trying to solve and why are you trying to solve it? Because then we can potentially help you come up with a better solution than you could have envisioned for yourself because you don't have the same view of the rest of the tech stack that an ops team would. So involving your ops team early and often is really going to be a key to success for most businesses. I've also seen you recommend several different options to clients when they're trying to solve that one problem that they weren't aware of. Because as we saw on the big island, the 8,000 different players island image, there's multiple players that solve that problem. They may read of one or hear of one, or maybe they used it in the previous job and they immediately want to bring it over without understanding that you have options. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the, the tech landscape and how, how much it's grown in the years. Uh, you do have options and you do have choices. And there are some technologies that will work better maybe for a, a security company because they are SOC 2 compliant and they have really good data practices and things like that versus maybe a, a retail space that the integrations are different, the way they process data is different. Um, all of those options give you plenty of possibilities and being in the ops space, we usually keep up 
on the new technologies and we do have our favorites that work really well and play well together. Um, and so just knowing what's out there is really important and never be dead set on, no, this is absolutely the one that I need because you may be cutting off your nose in spite of your face because there could be something greater that could solve a future business problem that you're not thinking of today and you won't have to buy yet another tool. It then becomes a twofold solution. Um, purchasing it now or early. For our audience, if you join us late, you're listening to the incomparable Jen Kors, who leads our uh, RevOps practice at the Nord Group, newly created RevOps practice in this brand new year. We're doing some really interesting things with, with a handful of clients. Um, Randy Seidel not joking, when we were selling or we were sales managers, RevOps wasn't a thing. Our, our RevOps were three by five index cards and call sheets that we would get to, to make calls. But Robert wants to know, um, do you have an opinion on customer facing technology options, live chat, automated email response, frequent Q and A? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, today's consumer is, will make their decision before ever talking to anybody. So making sure that information is easy and accessible. So frequent Qs and As, uh, automated email responses, um, having a, very robust support documentation system is always going to be beneficial. Live chat, it needs to be seamless in their experience and it shouldn't be frustrating. I mean, we all, when you used to have to call people, which you still do today, I mean, you've got to call your bank or your credit card or whatever in the IVR system, the voice recognition system, it doesn't work or you just constantly hit zero. Like that's not the experience you want to give people. So live chat and automated email responses they really should be helpful and beneficial in a way. So if you're going to do an automated email response that says, hey, somebody will get back to you in 24 to 48 hours, here are some suggested places you could go find your answer, have them provide value or give them something that might help them. And in a way that's not intrusive or assuming that they didn't already go look. Um, with frequent Q's and A, Q and A's, um, it's always good to be open about your product and, and how it works. Uh, I've seen really great Q&A sessions. Support people have gotten on and talked about the product and they've taken live questions. Um, at my last role, actually one of their customer success managers would have a bi-weekly call and she'd go through the product and how to use it and then she'd take live questions. It was really well attended and there was some really great responses. Both customers, prospects attended it and everybody got a lot of great value out of it because the prospects heard from the customers and they heard that the company was willing to take that feedback and then act on it. So it really creates a great feedback loop. So I think customer facing technologies like live chat and, and such are great if you have a strategy that will benefit the customer. You have to think customer first. Um, those types of technologies are not about the company. They are about opening ways for the customer to get in touch with you seamlessly and meeting them where they are versus forcing them to come find you. Jen, one of the things you and I talked about is, uh, again, conversations with executives, leaders who really care about the outcomes not necessarily the output, not necessarily the input. I, I, you know, again, I don't know enough about these tools. So not only I'm not going to take the time to learn, 
But you know what? I'm going to hire somebody to build that. What I care about is, as you mentioned, the revenue targets that I promised my CEO or the, uh, the, the marketing impact that I've promised the CEO on the board that we're going to deliver. Tell me about the executive visibility into MarTech, into RevOps. Why should CROs, CMOs care and care more about this space? Well, one of the biggest reasons why CMOs and CROs should care is because the technology to drive the company is eating a very large part of their budget. Uh, most CMOs are spending 30 to 35% of their budget on technology alone. So if you're not getting value from that technology, um, what's the point? Why is it there? Uh, the CROs and CMOs should have a general understanding of how the database works and how data flows through the system. They don't need to know the minutia. They don't necessarily need to get into the lead scoring unless they want to, um, but they need to understand how, how is somebody from the website getting to a salesperson? And so creating diagrams that are very high level, making sure that there's a dashboard that they can see that's updated in real time is really important for those types of roles. Um, and when there's a problem with how data flows, keep it as high level as possible. And if they want to dive into the details, have those answers, because I, I do know some CROs and CMOs that are highly technical and they want to know, well, why can't we just run a SQL query or whatever? Um, you, you want to be able to answer those questions in a way that they'll be satisfied and that they are, have confidence that you know what you're doing. Um, if you get too far in the weeds, you're going to lose them. But if you stay too high level, they may think that you're just glossing over all of it and you really don't know what you're doing and you don't have an answer. So you have to find that happy medium and know who that person is. How much detail do they want? Are they an A-type personality that needs all the details before they can make a decision? Or can you give them bullet points and they're good? Um, so knowing your audience is really important when you're working with an executive suite. Well, I, I, you already had a fan in me, but it sounds like you've got a fan in Bob Stanton as well. Software engineers want to <laughs> dazzle you with brilliance rather than relevance. I love your emphasis on adding value. And you and I have talked about that. If MarTech and RevOps isn't adding value in that operational efficiency, in streamlining the right types of leads from marketing to sales, and as you alluded to, a feedback loop mechanism from sales on what worked, what didn't, who was a good prospect, who wasn't. So we can constantly fine tune that pretty expensive, pretty elaborate marketing engine. Then you're right. It's not adding any value and shouldn't be there. So, Bob, thanks. Thanks for jumping in. Well, Jen, and I part of that, uh, it's not just sales and marketing. I mean, marketing ops or rev ops, we also support field service, customer success. And so having that feedback loop from all of them. So when we get back to doing trade shows, but right now they're virtual events, if the attendees to that virtual event aren't the people that we should be talking to, and it's just a whole bunch of tire kickers, then we did our target marketing for that event incorrectly. And we need to know that from the field marketing team or if customer success we're working on customer retention and for whatever reason we can't keep a customer to save our life like we need to know that too like what's wrong in there do we need to do more educational type stuff do we need to do more technical like where are we losing people and where are we bleeding so that feedback loop is really important across the organization you bring up an important point that i haven't uh, i've thought about but i haven't heard from you which is which is the field service is also important just talk for a few seconds about where does 
you know, field technicians that, again, I'm thinking of Schneider Electric or Beckton Dickinson or some of these other clients that have field service, field technicians, they go out, they service the client, they've got parts on the truck that they replace out. What do those interactions fit into RevOps? Well, those people are, are frontline. Those, uh, they interact with the customer. They may hear conversations in the office. Like they're out servicing something, maybe a problem that they've been having with their equipment. Maybe they didn't call about it because, oh, it was just minor. But the field service rep who's now out there physically talking to the customer, they hear that, that field service rep can now put those notes into the system and their account executive back at the office will get those notes being like, oh, new note added. That account executive can see it. They can call being like, hey, so glad Joe was out there. He could fix that problem. Next time, whatever comes up happens, if it happens in the future, uh, please feel free to give us a call. Minor, major, doesn't matter. We're here to serve you. And so it, it helps create that customer value and allows the customer to feel that it's not just transactional. You, you want to become a partner to your customer and always find ways to, to give them better value. And it increases that stickiness that you'll have as a co company because then the, the customer feels that you actually want them at not just have them as a number. Um, and so creating that customer value is really important. Love that. So you really are reinforcing that infinity loop of not just selling them, but making sure that adoption and the use and <clears throat> reuse of it, they come back for follow on or upsell or cross sell opportunities. So you've been a fabulous guest. Thank you for your insights. Thank you. Thanks for your energy and excitement about this space. Where can our audience learn more about you, your efforts and the RevOps practice? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you'd like to learn more about the RevOps practice, you can go to the NOR uh, group website at norgroup.com slash revenue operations. And uh, everything that you'd like to know about our practice is there. Uh, you can also reach out to me by email. It's just Jen, J-E-N-N at norgroup.com. Beautiful. For our audience, you've been listening to Jen Cords. Uh, she's a partner with our firm leading the RevOps uh, practice. We're also standing up in ethical hacking, and I hope to have Jen back to talk about that group and that practice, uh, but you can learn more. Uh, just as a reminder, this is our 20th anniversary of our firm, Hard to Believe. I used to have a lot more hair when I started this business, but this is our 20th anniversary of this uh, of the business. Uh, I'm excited about continuing these each week, Tuesdays at noon Eastern. I'll either share insights from the latest book, Curve Benders, you see on the right-hand side, bottom corner, or have a guest to share insights, perspectives on topics that I'm fascinated by, challenges that I see in the market that I think will be of value to our broader audience. On behalf of Jen, I'm David Knorr. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time on Curve Benders Live. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you next time.